back pop culture theologians. I am so glad you're joining us again for an even darker episode of His Dark Materials. I am so glad you are back with us. Um, well, just me. I still work in the world in which Marcy is here with me. She's on a much needed vacation. Don't worry. Don't worry. She'll be back. But I'm so glad you joined the pop culture theologians. Who are we, you may ask? Um, pop culture theologians are two uh, academics that worship at the altar of pop culture, utilizing our academic knowledge and uh, and all the stuff we learned in graduate school that we didn't think we could apply to anything fun. Well, now we're doing something fun with it and really breaking down some of the amazing shows that we love, that you love, and that we're really excited to bring to you in this type of a fashion. It is so fun to be discussing this incredible show, His Dark Materials, with you all. And from this last episode, there is a lot to cover. But first and foremost, I hope you're all following us on Twitter um, and on the interwebs. Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Twitter at Pop Theologians. Um, we've been having some fun on there lately with some of the fans from our previous shows that we've done, as well as new fans that we're making with this show. Um, what's that, John? You want to know my social media? Oh my God, you're so nice. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at jerickson 85 And warning, there's a lot of politics talk going on in that uh, Twitter sphere. So um, beware uh, or be warned or come join the fun. Um, who doesn't lo love hating on our fascist president? But many of you faithful listeners to the show know that in previous seasons, we've talked about um, the what the of the week. And instead of doing it um, in that way in which this show, we've decided to break down the ways in which we've really loved young adult fiction or children's literature um, to bring to you in this new way and medium. And so we've been recommending some books that we hope you have read, or maybe you haven't. It's okay. It's okay. We're not perfect. Um, but that we find really fascinating. And hopefully maybe one day we'll be able to break them down and discuss them. So um, this week's selection for the favorite young adult book is something that I believe many of you have probably heard about. It is our favorite closet going people, children, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, and of course, the Chronicles of Narnia series that uh, encompasses that whole universe. Uh, to say that this is uh, an amazing book series with, I mean, overtly Christian narratives and, you know, lots of problems here and there, we totally get it, um, is something uh, of another podcast discussion, shall we say. But um, I remember exactly where I was when I read these novels. They moved me in ways in which I don't think uh, books had when I was reading them when I was that young. I remember I used to go to the bookstore in Ripon, Wisconsin, and I would sit in the back and, and read them in their entirety. Luckily, it was a small town and the book owner was very nice. Thank you, um, individual at Book World in Ripon, Wisconsin. It's not there anymore. Um, but thank you very much for letting me sit in um, your aisles and read books as a child, um, especially when the library closed. Yes, that sounds really sad, but I had a good life. Don't worry about me. Um, but this book is incredible. These book series are incredible. I think the ending of the series is something that we can still hotly debate and discuss and talk about. Um, if you're a C.S. Lewis scholar, 
scholar. We all know that, well, you've probably been through a lot to be a C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis scholar. But um, nevertheless, we persist. And this is a book series that I'm in love with. The movies are, in my opinion, good. I actually really enjoyed the adaptations um, and have found myself rewatching them. They are not Christmas movies in the way in which uh, whatever free form or whatever you know, characterizes them as just like Harry Potter is not supposed to be on 25 days of a Christmas or whatever it is, but like, let's be real, whatever. We all have to fill that programming slot. I get it. I hear you. But this book series um, and this book particular is amazing. And as many of you know, this is the second book in the series. The first book um, is even better and it starts off on this amazing journey. I actually love the first book better in this entire series. So if you're um, looking for something to read, if you've only read this book in the entire series, what are you doing? What are you waiting for? Go pick up all the other books and read them. They are in incredible um so with that we've got a lot to talk about um we're more than halfway through uh the first book and obviously the first season of this series of his dark materials um but we've got a little bit more of a darker storyline going on and we've got a little bit more answers to some of the burning questions but most importantly let's get back into the world of dust Okay, so we're pretty much halfway through this first book um, called The Northern Lights, but specifically the first season of His Dark Materials. Um, If you're a spoiler freak like I am, you already know they're filming the second series, um, which is based off of, you know, the second book called The Subtle Knife, although we kind of get a little intro into someone who plays a big role in that in that book, but we'll get there. Um, But this show is just giving us everything that we need right now. I am loving it. It is the Game of Thrones that I didn't know I needed. Um, It is so different, but so unique. And I'm so glad HBO and BBC are doing it. I mean, like there could be some people that just butcher this world and they are not. But um, we enter into a world in which Lyra and the Egyptians are traveling further north with Scoresby and our favorite Coca-Cola bear, York Burneson, um, seeking the children that were kidnapped by the gobblers or Lyra's mother, as you would like to talk about it. Um, And we'll get there. But we think that we are starting to understand a little bit more about Lyra and some of the reasons why she's so important. So we really start to understand what exactly is this prophecy surrounding Lyra and why does everyone want to either like help her or control her? And I know the opening narration um, is a little vague, but what they say that she's meant to do is end destiny. So it's pretty large to put on the young shoulders of Lyra, but if there's anyone that can do it, it's her. I totally think she can end destiny, but we'll get there. Um, But everyone is really secretive in this show. And I think it's really important because that secretiveness is not only something that Lyra keeps, but it's something that people keep from her because by almost telling her the truth, and this is um, a plot point in a lot of young adult fiction, you know, they don't have parents because they can't go into the fantastical voyages or journeys that they usually do, but people lie and don't tell them the truth because it's type 
it's those types of reveals that would then almost maybe ruin them or jolt them into some type of adulthood that would take away that young adult innocence innocence that they have. And so we are starting to see the secret of nature unwind a little bit, but we know that she has to do a lot still to end destiny. So, you know, we're going to get there, you know, we're, you know, going to be almost through this series in a few more weeks, but there's a lot more um, here for the fans that we are getting to understand. And, Lyra is starting to become like an alethiometer expert and with how she's reading it. And the alethiometer tells her something that she's kind of been dreaming about understanding and that it gives her a warning and it kind of tells her that she needs to go to a nearby fishing village. Um, And like with everything, the Egyptians are really hesitant to let her go because she serves a larger purpose. They know who she is in some way and what she's supposed to do. So a lot of people are nervous that if they let her go and she doesn't come back, they're in a lot of trouble because she's almost there to help be part of the resistance that they're trying to achieve here. Um, However, if you've read the books, you understand that the next scene that we get is something of a little bit of a treasure trove for us. Um, we go back to alternate earth and we get introduced to the other main character in this entire series, Will Perry. And he normally doesn't show up even until the subtle knife, the second book in the series. He's not in the first book. Um, but, it is very much destined that someone is supposed to walk alongside Lyra and do this and help her on her journey. And it is Will and they make no qualms about kind of pointing out that he is the other half to this Lyra coin that we're trying to understand. And, and I just have to say that this is the type of stuff that I appreciate the most when, um, showrunners and writers are able to put so much thought and process into plotting out the ways in which these shows which have such dense worlds and dense care and dense characters and you know complex storylines and able to make it seem so seamless with how they're transitioning to how these characters are going to play such important roles in people's lives it's really exciting and these books you know when they're movies are sometimes you know at fault for you know leaving a lot of things out but with the tv series when they're done right they're able to plot these points in and so we've really seen this with other advantages like when we start understanding a lot of lyra's parentage those are not really mentioned in the first book and that you know these are things that they're able to point out to help us get more of an appeal to these characters so you know we need to fall in love with them. And I'm already in love with Lyra. We all love Yorick. I hope you love Yorick. I mean, how can you not? And who doesn't want to hear Lee Scoresby sing a little bit more? But, um, and whether or not you love her or hate her, uh, Mrs. Coulter is the baddest bitch in town. So let's just leave it at that. But I'm really enjoying the writers of the show. And it really helps to have the source material to do it. Yes, that is shade at you, George R.R. R. Martin. Finish the books buddy finish the books right marcy i know you're listening but that's all i'm gonna say finish the books back to the show um so on alternate earth will perry um is being stalked by thomas and father boreal and they're trying to seek information on will's father john perry they're looking more into this individual and what important role he may or may not have played with the disappearance of everyone else and so they are there um 
understanding and way trying to find out more ways in which his father um, is or maybe has played a larger role in what's going on with the magisterium and Lord um, Boreal is trying to get to the bottom of it. And what happens is, is Will is kind of like this individual who's older than he actually is. He has to take care of his mother who's suffering from some mental illnesses. Um, You know, she seems really paranoid, um, but she I mean, with Lord Boreal and Thomas walking around, I mean, she obviously has some reasons to be paranoid, okay? But um, she definitely is knowing more than what she lets on because as we start to understand with the questioning that Father Boreal is doing of her and then ultimately of Will, she, just like with Lyra, um, is not telling her son everything. She is keeping secrets from him because he's not yet ready Um for him to understand really what his father was doing. And this comes in the shape and the form of these letters that his father was writing to Will. And the thing that, this is the thing that actually Boreal and Thomas are looking for, Um, but she has them and she won't let Will read them yet because obviously when you read them, it's kind of almost like the larger theme of understanding what knowledge brings. Does it break about this childhood innocence or does it make you more astute in the ways in which you're kind of going forward toward the trajectory in which you're you're trying to understand and achieve? Um, so, you know, we start to understand that Elaine is trying to protect her son, um, but there's so much more there. And so she is trying to make sure that she doesn't seem um, unwell because she's kind of always been on and off of her medicine and, and understanding what role, you know, she's playing in Will's life. You can see the type of toll that that play places on him. Um, and so it's really creepy um, when, you know, she's starting to kind of break down a little bit because she doesn't understand um you know, what's really going on because people have demons, they're watching her, but she doesn't know if it's just someone's demon or it's an actual just like animal. And, you know, for Will to see it, it's basically thinking for him that she's just paranoid again and that she has to understand that, you know, it's not actually the case and that there's something much more grave there. Um, And so we'll come back to Will in a little bit more, but I love how they revealed him. I love how they did it on social. No one thought we'd see Will this early. We knew who was filming as Will in the later series, but to see it now this early in the show is just incredible. Um, And I'm loving it. And so we go kind of back to Lyra um, and it appears that with the, um, warning that the alethiometer gave her she has to go to this fishing village um but after finally convincing them the egyptians that she can go and that yorick will go with her and having a conversation with seraphina pecola's demon or familiar um they convince them to let her go because she is supposed to serve a larger purpose. Um, they don't know what it is because the alethiometer is pointing them in the right direction, but Lyra is supposed to find out. Um, this is also where there is an extremely sad exchange um, with Farter Quorum, who remember had a relationship with Serafina Pecola, um, and they're discussing their son who they lost. Um, 
And the acting here is fabulous. It is done with full emotion. And you can see the ways in which these two characters left because of a serious break within the relationship after the son had passed away and was and died. Um, but Farda Quorum says that he thinks about her every day. And there's just some level of like understanding of that because we've all been there right we've all been there but this show is just doing an amazing job so um lyra heads on out um to the fishing village and you know uh as we kind of if you've read the books and seen the movies uh she asks uh to ride yorick and it's so amazing because i mean who wouldn't want to ride a polar bear right and mind you this is where lyra's interesting nature comes in because people start to trust her bears uh in this universe don't let humans ride them it's not like they're horses or something i mean geez um but they're trying to get to this fishing village really fast and so they move um and get there by allowing lyra to ride him and you can start start to see the relationship between york and lyra start to bond more and why those are two of my favorite characters, but it's amazing. And so um, we really get a sense that, you know, they're going to have a special bond between the both of them. And it's very special. And the acting and the CGI are so well done that you really start to feel for it, almost in the way in which you felt for Arya and Nymeria in the show for Game of Thrones, like in the last, um, in the last series um when you she has that run in when she's trying to get back to winterfell with nymeria and you start to understand that you know she sees her before with who she was as a young as a young child but then who she is as a young adult and it's just fabulous um and so the they finally get to the fishing village and um they kind of go to like the scariest looking fucking house of all creation. And um, if you've seen the movies, if you read the books, we finally understand what the Magisterium is actually doing to these kids. And we find Billy Costa, but it's not Billy Costa anymore. He's completely unresponsive. To call him a ghost is a beautiful way, um, narratively speaking, to understand the way in which he haunts this village because um he doesn't have his demon anymore. It's nowhere to be found. It's been cut um, away from him through this process of incision that we've been talking about. We'll start seeing that more in the next couple of episodes, but the ways in which Billy Costa is no more Billy Costa that we knew in the earlier episodes, it's, it's troubling because you start to understand that we're in some real life scenarios here and that we're in an understanding that these children are are at serious risk and that there is something happening here to describe the pain that comes with separating a demon from their owner and what that actually means for people. Um, there's a big book change here um, than what happens actually in the actual novels. Um, the movies did it and the series does it as well, but the scene is really hard to watch. Um, and it's hits you really hard as a reader, but when you read the book, you really understand in a different way than what we're showing here on the television screen or in the movies, um, how humans are really connected with their demons. And um, we've kind of discussed this in earlier episodes and the shows pinpointed it a little bit, but it's really hard for humans to be really, 
far away from the demons. They can almost not even be a few feet away from them. That's why it's weird when Mrs. Coulter is so far away from their demons and they've even talked about it with the witches and they can travel hundreds of miles without their demons. So um, they're trying to establish, you know, the ways in which they can really draw dramatic effect to show that a boy without his demon, a person without their demon is not right in this world. It's not supposed to be the case. And it's not that he's just hurt. It's that he's no longer the person he is. He's not Billy anymore. He doesn't have his soul. Um, He doesn't have his demon anymore. And there's a way in which when they take him back to the camp and people recognize that he's not their son anymore, it's almost um, a sweet goodbye because they know that he'll never be his their son anymore, the Egyptian anymore, in which the way in which they knew him. Um, and when he dies in his mother's arms, you understand that it's not just mourning the death of him, it's mourning the death of the process of what happened to him. Um, and why, when we look at these companions, these demons, um, this type of horror about what they're doing is supposed to hit us really real. And it's supposed to be a gut punch and it's supposed to be that type of reaction to authority and what they're trying to do to these children, these innocent children that's supposed to alarm us, that they're trying to keep secret. And that's why in earlier episodes, when we talked about the privacy, the secrecy, the ways in which people have allowed this to occur, it's even more awful um, because the silence is what kills us in the end and people are silent about what this incision process is but they know what's going on Um, we're we're coming to a point in the show where there's a reason why it's called his dark materials children are being cut away from their demons Um, children are being ripped away from their souls their character their nature um, who they are Um, and it's troubling. It's almost very emblematic of the ways in which the Catholic Church and what they've done to children for generations um, and the silence and what that did and ripped away that innocence from them and the real cost, the real cost of cults, the real cost of religiosity, of dogma, of absolute allegiance, of not questioning of the ways in which why Lyra is a threat. And maybe the reason why she's there to end destiny is to end the destiny that they're trying to take away from these children. So um, the Egyptians hold the funeral for Billy um, and we start to understand that we're approaching a new part of this series that we might not get back from, but the whole series then twists on this episode. This episode is called The Lost Boy um, and it's supposed to be the lost boy that we lose within ourselves, but the lost boy that we see within the screen, because we can only imagine what that means. Um, And so what happens that night then after the funeral um, is Lyra gets kidnapped. Um, We hear something outside um, and we see that people are there to kidnap her, um, that people have actually killed people trying to protect her and that um, she is taken away to this really crazy industrial looking building. And if you kind of have read the book, so you know where she's going, she's actually at Bullvanger. And this is the place where a lot of the rest of this this first series is gonna be taking place because this is that place where just like with Billy, they cut away his demon and um, much like Lyra, because she is 
quick on her feet. I think she does not give them her name. She gives them the name Lizzie Brooks um, before she's taken to this exam room. And they even try to touch Pan, but he turns into a bird and fly away. But um, they, in this exam room, are starting to strip her naked. And everything about this scene feels wrong it feels sterile it feels wrong there's something about her kind of just going into this state of shock where she just does what she's doing um and she has to comply she's forced to comply um and they're starting to understand that when they're trying to prepare her for something and the ways in which Lyra starts to understand that the same clothes that they want her to wear are the same clothes that Billy Costa was wearing when she found them. And these people clearly want to, just like with Billy, they want to cut away her demon as well. Because to them, she's just another child. But to the rest of us, we know who she is. We know how important she is. And we know everything that she's supposed to do. And so it's horrifying for us to think about, oh my God, our heroine here is doing all this, you know, and something's going to happen to her. But we have to um, keep hope going alive. And so the thing about this show that starts to ring true is that there's a lot to lose now, right? It's not a children's movie. It's not, um, it's a young adult fiction series, but there's a lot more at stake in the series when you read it. Um, and there's a lot more at stake on television. There's a reason it's being done on HBO and not another show. It's supposed to be dark. It's supposed to be troubling. Um, and it's supposed to help us question and push for, a progressive way in which we can combat authority um, or the ablation board or these gobblers um, because it's dread that they present and it's fear and that's what they're there to do. Um, we got a lot of episodes world building and understanding the type of power the magisterium has, um, but in understanding how powerful that power that they have is scary in the end because of the ways in which they're only using it to abuse and hurt children. They're killing children. Their process isn't perfected. They're keeping kids in cages. Does that sound familiar? It's scary. Um, and the show isn't shying away from making us sit in that really uncomfortable space. And if you've read the books um, or if you've seen the previews or if you're listening to this and you've already seen the whole show um, and you're just listening to these recaps, first of all, thank you. That's very nice of you. Um, but second of all, you know that it's about to get a whole lot darker from here. And we've got a lot to look forward to. We've got a lot to discuss. Um, and we're almost done with the first um, season of His Dark Materials. And we've got quite a bit of a storyline waiting for us in these next couple of episodes. It's an eight episode series. We've got three episodes left to go. Um, I'll be back with you next week after episode six airs. And all I can say is see you next week.